you found this podcast probably because you know a little bit about our ministry called Time of Grace and our passion about connecting people to God through all kinds of media. Well, did you know that we do a lot more besides just television and podcasting? If you check out our website, timeofgrace.org, you're going to find tons of ways to learn about the good news of Jesus, from daily written devotions to daily video devotions, tons of podcasts, blogs, our Bible Basic series called Bible Breath, and books and books and resources and more resources to help you in your walk with God. So if you're interested in any of that, just go to timeofgrace.org. Are you a Christian? Really? And how do you know? These were the tough questions that someone recently asked me at our church's question and answer session. This person was aware that many people say they're Christians, but they're not. Many people think that they're following Jesus, but you ask them what they think about Jesus and you quickly realize they don't really know about Jesus. And even Jesus himself said that many people would think that they believe in the Lord and he's going to say to them, I, I never knew you. So this is a real and slightly terrifying question. Are you a Christian? And if so, how do you know? I want to share a great Bible passage with you from 1 John chapter 3. But first, uh, a memory. Uh, when I was about half my current age, uh, I was in seminary. And I remember being at this church in, in the basement for the church Bible study. There weren't very many people there. But the pastor put up a picture that has stuck with me for for decades. It was a picture of a bullseye. And he was trying to answer this question. What's the evidence? What are the proofs? How can we really know that we're Christians? And there were, uh, there's the bullseye in the middle, then there's two rings around it. And on the outside ring, he wrote, good works. Right? When we do good works, we show the faith that's within our heart. When we let our light shine by the way we love people, we're proving that Jesus, the light of the world, the God of love, is in our hearts. Now, remember what Jesus even said to his own disciples? This is how the world's going to know that you belong to me, by the way that you love each other. And so the fact that we, we want to follow God, the fact that we care about his commandments, the fact that we are trying to be obedient, it's proof that we actually have a real relationship with him. Right? If I have a real relationship with my wife, I care about doing what pleases her. If I say, I don't, I don't care what you want, well, that's, <laughs> that's a problem. <laughs> that relationship isn't going to last for very long. So the fact that we care, the fact that we repent even, the fact that we apologize to God, go to church, pray, give to the poor, love our neighbors, forgive our enemies, our good works are proof that there is good faith in our heart. Uh, but the pastor went on to teach, that's not always so certain, right? Sometimes I love my neighbor. Sometimes. And sometimes the people in your class or at your job or in your family, they like know there's something different about you. But sometimes there's nothing different about you. Sometimes you're the one who says, says no to the extra drink or giving in to the, the gossipy conversation or, or being proud and thinking it's all about you. But 
Right? There's a lot of times when we we do get drunk and we do give in to gossip and we're we're way, way too proud. And, and so the the pastor taught me that that outside ring, your good works, are a good place to find assurance, but it's not a guaranteed place to find assurance. And so he moved to the next ring. On the outside ring was written good works. On the inside ring was written real faith. Right? So, okay, okay, maybe I struggle, but do you believe in Jesus? I do. Yep, yeah, you were proud on Tuesday and you shouldn't have gossiped like you did on Wednesday, but do you believe today that Jesus is God, that he was born for you, that he lived for you, that he died for you, that he rose from the grave for you? Yes, I believe that. <laughs> right? So, okay, my, my works are messy. I do the right thing and then I don't, but I, I do have faith in God. I don't doubt that there is a God, that Jesus died on the cross and that he rose from the grave. That's the good news of my salvation. And so, it's a little bit more certain. It's a little bit more secure. This is what we believe. But, but the pastor said, um, do you ever have doubts? Do you ever really wonder, like deep down, maybe you don't even say it, but you think it, do you ever doubt, maybe there's not a God? Or maybe there is a God, but maybe I'm not forgiven. Maybe I don't really have faith. If I did, wouldn't, I, wouldn't my life be, wouldn't I be better than I am? All right, so looking at our faith can be a, a great way to figure out if we are actually people who have faith. But it's not a perfect way. One time Jesus, um, he healed uh, this man's son. Uh, I should say he was about to heal this man's son. And um, the dad said to Jesus, like, if you can heal my son. And, and Jesus said, if. Like, anything is possible for the one who believes. And you remember what the dad said back? He says, I, I do believe. But Jesus, help me overcome my unbelief. Right? I, like, I do have faith, but man, there, there's like not perfect faith in my heart. There's flaws, there's doubts, there's questions, there's really low moments. I, I get overwhelmed in the darkness and, and I doubt you. Which is why the pastor said, there's a bullseye. And the bullseye of salvation are the guaranteed things that God did for the world. Right? Let's not talk about you for a second, your works, your faith how much you believe, how much you're doing. Let's talk, about, let's talk about God. Did God love the whole world, including you? Yep. Did God send his son for the whole world, including you? Yep. Did Jesus die on the cross just for a couple people's sins or for all the sins? First uh, John chapter 2, he's the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not only ours, but also the sins of the whole world. Did Jesus arise from the dead just for uh, some nations or for all the nations? Some people or for all the people? You see, the, the bullseye is just the gospel that what God did, he did for the whole world. And, and so every piece in that target has its place. It's, it's good for us to think about our works, our faith. But when we're doubting and when we're struggling, when we really want to, but we just, there's too much evidence of our sinfulness, we get back to the center and say, no, God loves the world and he loves me. And Jesus shed his blood for the world and he shed his blood for me. That's where the confidence of our faith comes from. So, great summary of that is in 1 John chapter 3. Listen to these words. 
This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in God's presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. I love that. Sometimes your heart gets it wrong, but God knows. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and we receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. Good works, doing what pleases him. And, and this is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. Loving, believing. The one who keeps God's command lives in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. Keeping God's commands, believing in the one that God sent, hearing like we do in this letter that Jesus is the sacrifice for the sins of the whole world. This is how we can figure out if we are actually true Christians by what we do, by what we believe, most importantly because of what God has done. Hope that helps. God bless. How do we know the Trinity is right? That was a direct question someone asked me the other day at our church's question and answer Sunday. Um, Maybe you've heard that phrase before. The Trinity is the Christian way of talking about God. Tri means three. It refers to these three separate people, the Father, the Son, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. And Trinity gets the idea of like unity, that even though there's one, two, three separate people, we just believe in one God. We don't worship two gods or three gods or a thousand gods. Christians say we worship one God alone and that God is three separate persons who can talk to each other, help each other, um, send each other, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now that is a mystery. Uh, In my Bible teaching, I love to have an analogy to help it make sense. You know, it's just like this, but it's not. (laughs) In this case, there is no comparison. There's nothing in creation. There's no relationship where one, one essence, three, there's nothing like it. It's just, it, it is what it is. And so that's a, a fair question. If someone asks, well, how do, how do we know that's right? Can I give you a short answer? The Bible. <laughs> All right. So you won't find the word Trinity in the Bible itself. But that concept, three separate people, one God, is exactly what the Bible teaches. And so Christians came up with this name, Triune God, Trinity. And the phrase has kind of stuck for many, many years. Uh, Let me just prove one of the Trinity passages to you. It's at the very start of the Gospel of John. It says this in chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. Now, the word is going to be a nickname for Jesus. So it's basically saying, in the beginning was Jesus. And the word, Jesus, was with God. Okay, Jesus with God, two separate people. And, end of the verse, the word, Jesus, was God. Wait, let me read that again. In the, in the beginning was the word, Jesus, and the word, Jesus, was with God, and the word, Jesus, was God. Wait, how can you, how, how can you be God and be with God at the same time? And the answer is the Trinity. <laughs> now, you have to ask yourself the question, why, why is that 
why is that in there? I mean, we can repeat the the truth of it, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but what's the what's the practical value of it? Um, some theologians have said this, that God in and of himself is a perfect community of love. With the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, there's no tension, there's no drama, there's no competition. There's no one trying to be better than another. There are no hard feelings. Instead, there's total love, absolute delight. They live together. They affirm it. In John's gospel, actually, the way Jesus talks about his father who sent him and the Holy Spirit, like he praises the Spirit and the Spirit focuses people on Jesus. It's this, it's what we all want, isn't it? I mean, sometimes there's TV shows that do this where it's like this family and they're all around the table and they're laughing and they're smiling and there's no bitterness or, or tension or breakups or, or drama. It's just like different people gathered in love. So the cool message of Christianity is that God, through Jesus, is inviting you into that. The plan of salvation is that God the Father sent his son Jesus to be your savior And then he sent the Holy Spirit to give you faith that Jesus is your Savior so that you could join them in the great feast of heaven. That you could be sitting at that table with Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the overflow of their love that you for all eternity, ever and ever and ever, would be caught up in the amazing love of God. The same John who wrote about the Word and God, he wrote another letter later in the Bible called 1 John. This really short snippet that just says in 1 John chapter 4, God is love. We can get complex with it. That's true. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three persons, one essence, Trinity. But, but John also said, and God is love. And he loved you so much, he invited you into this relationship with a heavenly father with a savior big brother named Jesus, with a guide and counselor of the Holy Spirit. That's what every Christian has. We don't just believe in the Trinity. We enjoy the Trinity. Recently, our church had its annual question and answer Sunday. And one of the shortest questions that came in was, in my opinion, one of the most important. A person asked, or I should say they requested this. Pastor, Tell me more about spiritual warfare. Now, I'm not sure if you've heard that phrase before, spiritual warfare. It's a biblical idea, but it doesn't come up in every church. In fact, as I think about my own preaching, I don't know how often I've addressed spiritual warfare directly in the past six to 12 months. But listen to what the Apostle Paul says to his dear friends at the church in Ephesus. Ephesians chapter 6. He says, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Like your real struggle isn't with your brother or your boss or your grouchy neighbor. No, no, no. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Our struggle is against the rulers, the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil, even the heavenly realms. Therefore, verse 13, put on the full armor of God, So that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything, to stand. 
That's spiritual warfare. You and I, as followers of Jesus, are in a constant battle, a struggle, as Paul calls it here, a war, not physically, not with sword and spear, not with a knife, a gun, a bomb, a drone. No, it's it's not against the rulers of this world. It's against the rulers of the spiritual world, invisible rulers, the devil, the deceiver, the father of lies, the spirits of this age that tries to lead us away from God, make our consciences calloused and make us think that God isn't worth giving up everything to follow Jesus. So what do I want to tell my friend? What do I want to tell you about spiritual warfare? Um, just a few things. First, it's real. <laughs> when you woke up today, you might just thought, I want to hit snooze. I wish I didn't have to go to work. I'm behind on email. <laughs> right? You probably thought about physical things or financial things or uh, earthly things, but you woke up in a war zone. You woke up in this epic battle between good and evil that involves your very soul. Like, do, do you believe that? The devil woke up today with a plan to deceive you, to lead you into temptation, to make you think that God isn't good, that God isn't here, that God doesn't forgive you, that sin isn't a big deal, that everyone's doing it, that you'll, you'll be fine with that. Like, he's coming with a strategy and a plan like a master general who has fought in countless wars. His goal isn't to scare you. It's not a horror movie. His job is to make you love God and other people less. His hope is to make you trust and believe in Jesus less. And he has all kinds of weapons at his disposal. He doesn't care if it's pain or if it's pleasure. If it's a miscarriage that makes you hate God, or if it's just busyness that makes you forget about God. It might be the suffering of innocent children in the world that shakes your faith. It might be your success that makes you too busy for the Bible or prayer or serving the poor in Jesus' name. Like, he doesn't care. He will do anything as long as you and God, you and this book, are less connected than you were yesterday. It's a fight, it's a struggle, and it's real. It's hard to love God. It's hard to remember God. <laughs> it's hard to love people. Some people, <laughs> it's almost impossible to love. And so we are in this battle. The Apostle Paul says our struggle, it, it's real. It's happening against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. So what should we do? That's the next big thing I want to tell you. Paul says, therefore, put on the full armor of God. Like, you wake up. And I'm guessing you, you put on some clothes before work. <laughs> Maybe if you're doing some Zoom meetings and the camera's off, you stay in your jammies. But I'm, you know, I'm guessing you, you put on something to be ready for your work. Well, Paul says here, you should put on something to be ready for this war. And then he lists it. I'm not going to read through all of Ephesians 6, but you really should. He talks about faith. He talks about the gospel. He talks about um, this readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. He talks about the belt of truth, the, the breastplate of righteousness. Like, I'm starting my day saying I'm righteous because of the blood of Jesus. I'm forgiven. I'm a child of God. I'm uh, putting on the belt of truth. Like, God is worth it. He's worthy. I have a calling to love people today. Today is not about an easy or a hard day. It's not about maximum pleasure. It's not about, like, my day today is about God. 
God didn't call me home to heaven yet because he has a, a plan and a purpose for me to love him, follow him, seek him, serve him, and love people in Jesus' name, right? We, uh, this is why it's so important to start your day thinking of God, uh, maybe opening this book, doing a devotion, um, watching a good YouTube video, listening to worship music, starting your day in prayer. Uh, maybe the Lord's Prayer is a good way to start your day. We're putting on the full armor of God so we don't spend half this battle spiritually naked. <laughs> right? You and I are human, we're frail, we're very weak, so we need the armor that God gives, the help and resources and weapons that God gives because they have mighty power. When I think about being in a war with the devil, with with dark forces and demons like that, that freaks me out. Until, <laughs> until I remember Jesus, my Jesus, my Redeemer and my King and my. Do you remember what happened? In the Bible, when demons met Jesus, they cowered. They shook. Don't cast me into hell, Jesus. They begged for his mercy. In other words, the Jesus that is in your heart, General Jesus, King Jesus, who leads you into battle, he is a billion times more powerful than those evil forces. So we follow in the footsteps of Jesus because he fought for us and he still fights for us today. So tell me more about spiritual warfare. There's a lot, but maybe we could start here. It's real. You're in it. Armor up. And remember that your King Jesus fights for you. How do you honor an addicted parent? Uh, Recently at our church's question and answer Sunday, someone asked me that uh, really heartbreaking question. I'm not sure if you have any experience with addiction, your own Uh, your parents, your siblings, your best friend. Here at my church, I I do life and minister to lots and lots and lots and lots of addicts, dozens and dozens and dozens. So I haven't had a a mother or father who's addicted, but I've had lots and lots of friends. And I've asked myself that same question, "How how do I love them as a Christian? And how do I honor them? Here's what I've learned about addicts. Uh, Addicts break your heart. Like you stretch yourself to be there, to help, to show up, to bail them out, to buy them food, to to visit them in jail, to forgive them for their sins. Like you, you give them another chance and then the addiction and they do it again. And it doesn't take, you know, too many times for your heart to change towards them. You're disappointed, you're hurt, you're wounded. You're maybe bitter. You've been sinned against. It would just be so, so much easier to cut ties, let them take care of their own drama and just spend all of your time with these people over here who don't behave like those people over there. That's a real temptation. But what do we do as Christians? I mean, in the Bible, obviously, it doesn't say just love easy people. In fact, you weren't so easy to love when God came after you. <laughs> Jesus didn't keep his distance from complicated sinners and addicts. He was known as the friend of, of drunks as he reached out to probably many of those who are caught in addiction. Right? And, and the commandment that says, honor your father and your mother, there's no asterisk at the end of it. It doesn't say, well, unless they, they drink too much or, or get high too much or you know have pornography issues or whatever. So you know, these are real questions 
that Christians wrestle with. It's hard, but we want to do the right thing. We want to imitate the love of God. So I, I appreciate this question. How do I honor my addicted parent? Um, here's my answer. Love them with boundaries. I mean, there's a, a spot, maybe I should put it like this, this like really, this really narrow road between this ditch of bitterness and this ditch of boundarylessness. Right? It's, it's really easy when someone you love, let's say your dad, drinks too much just to be bitter. I'm done with him. You broke my heart. I hate you. I'm mad at you. Like, don't talk to me. Don't call me. Like, that kind of falls short of God's call to us to love. But then there's this other ditch that a lot of people end up with is having no boundaries, is doing whatever they say. Hey, can I borrow some money? Hey, can you pick me up? Hey, things went through with my job. Hey, can you? Hey, can you? Hey, can you? Like, you're my kid, right? This is the thing you should know about love in the Bible. The word love in the Bible simply means to do what's best. All right, the question you have to ask yourself is what's best for your father? What's best for that addict? Like helping them out might be best or or maybe they need to feel the full weight and consequence of their choices. If they can get drunk every night and you'll kind of cover them and give them a ride and apologize to their boss and make excuses for them, like, well, they kind of get the best of both worlds. They get to keep on with their sin. But that's not best. Listen, um, letting someone fall on their face and feel the sting of their sin, that's best. Letting this principle in the Bible from, uh, is it Galatians 6? You reap what you sow. That's best. Like covering for someone so they can continue in their sin, that, that's not best. And so it's hard, right? We have to be able not to just bail on someone, not to block someone, but to be able to look someone in the eye and say, I love you. And because I love you, I'm not going to do that. Nope. Yep. I, I know you're out of money. That's what happens when you spend it all on, on drinking. I, I love you. I'm not going to do that. You know what's best? If you want to get help, I'll drive you. I'll go with you. I'm, I'm praying for you. I still, I still care about you. You might not believe me right now, but I, I love you so deeply. Strong boundaries. I'm only going to do what's best for you. You might, you might see it. You might not. You might love me. You might hate me back, but this is what love looks like. I, Man, I, I feel for you. I've been on this journey. I've been bitter. I've lacked boundaries. I've, I've withheld my heart. I've given away too much money. Um, today, God in love, I mean, he forgives us for our mistakes and he calls us to love the addicts in our life on this very narrow road. So maybe today after this video is over, um, pray for wisdom. In the book of James chapter 1, it says, If we lack wisdom, we can ask God and he will give it generously. So pray today that God would give you wisdom to know what to do, how to do it, how often to do it, so that you can love your addicted parent just like God loves you. We love, the Bible says, because God first loved us. 
You were that. When does were start? After repenting? After believing Jesus is your Savior? We are going to sin again. Ooh, thank you for the follow-up. So 1 Corinthians 6, once again, do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, idolaters, adulterers, men who have sex with men, thieves, greedy, drunkards, slanders, swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. So, insightful question. When did that change? Um, two, two sides of the same coin. True repentance. Faith in Jesus. That's the moment. So when a person realizes their sin, they call out on Jesus' name, I'm a repentant believer, a.k.a. a Christian. That's when our identity changes as washed, holy, sanctified children of God. We are going to sin again. Absolutely we will. But this time we will fight against that sin instead of celebrating it. Right? Actually, it's a huge step in your spiritual growth when you realize that you're sinning. You might not be changing yet. You just realize it. A couple years ago, I was working with a, a vocal coach. He's trying to help me with public speaking. And he said, uh, Mike, there are, there are three stages of any skill. You start out at unconscious incompetence. You're bad and you don't know it. It's like a person who says, um, 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 and they don't know they're saying, um, 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 but you're like, ah, oh, stop saying um. <laughs> and then you get to conscious incompetence where you, you still do it, but now you're aware of it. Like, oh, I'm saying um all the time. I need to change that. And then you get to conscious competence where we actually change. Right? So let's make that spiritual for a second. Some people are living in sin. They don't think it's bad. They don't think it's sinful. Then you become a Christian and you still struggle with the same sins, but now you're very aware of it. You confess them to God. You want to change. You have a new spirit in your heart. And then, as the days go by, you, you get more competent, stronger in your faith. You say no to old temptations and you start to change. So, where's the were? Um, it's here at conversion. Repentance, trusting in Jesus. The process of the Christian life continues.